Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government begins testing a voluntary COVID-19 contact tracing app. That app, which is going to first come out in Ontario, will be the basis of what we hope is an app that will be used across the country. The leader of the Bloc Québécois calls on Jagmeet Singh to apologize for calling an MP racist. And if not, I hope the president of the House of Commons will be quite severe because if the only penalty is not being allowed into the room for one day or not being allowed to speak for one day, everybody will feel entitled to do the same. And conservative leadership candidates battle in a second televised debate. I don't speak of true blue. I speak of everyone when I speak of the Conservative Party. No hyphenated conservatives. Let's all get behind a conservative plan and a leader who can win. It's Friday, June 19th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up cast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. What did you think of the Conservative leadership debate last night? What did, uh, what, do, what did you learn from it, and what do you think it says about how the leadership race is going? Well, I learned a lot from Derek Sloan and Leslyn Lewis, um, especially Mr. Sloan, because his um, election platform website doesn't actually have that much information. I don't think this is the answer you were expecting, Mark, Mm. but I learned that Derek Sloan is opposed to Bill 21, that he thinks the Conservative Party should have an answer to the opioid crisis happening across the country and to homelessness, and that he also thinks Donald Trump is going to win again in November. Um, But basically, I guess this is another way of saying that uh, I don't think we learned that much uh, in the debates that happened on Thursday. Wednesday's French debate was very uh, aggressive. Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay went at each other quite hard, um, obviously because there's a lot of votes up for grabs in Quebec, and neither team really has uh, you know, a firm base of support in that province. And as we know from 2017, with the point system that the Conservatives have, um, the, votes, the votes in Quebec are, are worth a lot, and frankly, they're worth a lot more than the votes out uh, in Alberta, for example, because there are so many um, members in individual ridings, and in Quebec, there are so few members in individual ridings. Instead, on Thursday, what we saw was a pretty uh, tame affair. I think the candidates tried to uh, carve out some independent space. You know, we heard again that... Uh, Peter McKay says Aaron O'Toole would uh, put a price on carbon in the industrial sector, um, not on individuals. As there was some debate about that, there was debate about uh, Mr. O'Toole um, going forward with pipelines in Quebec without consultation. Uh, there was debate about where the candidates stand on how to grow the party, who to reach out to. Although I think mostly they they all agree uh they just they choose to highlight some parts that are different than others i I think basically my takeaway is thursday's debate was basically peter mckay and aaron o'toole trying to grab as much support as they can um second ballot support from leslin lewis we heard over and over again as dr lewis said i agree with dr lewis i agree with dr lewis 
Um, not so much that they agree with Derek Sloan, but uh, there was no attacks directed at Mr. Sloan uh, or Ms. Lewis. And uh, Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole uh, tried to get along. So, I mean, I don't know what this means for the race. We'll know at the end of August or possibly early September. Um, and hopefully, uh, now that we're entering this new wave of spending more time outside of our homes, uh, perhaps there will be other debates or virtual debates organized by writing associations, much like we've seen in 2017. But as far as the official debates go, this is the end. And this may be actually the only chance the candidates had to square off in English, which is a rather tame affair if you think you're Aaron O'Toole or Peter McKay. You, you kind of got off uh, without being challenged too boldly. Is that good for Peter McKay since he is the perceived frontrunner? Well, I'm no longer sure that Peter McKay is the perceived frontrunner. The campaign had said in earlier in the spring that they were going to release their membership numbers, and then they decided not to. Um, I'm not sure if that's just because they don't want Aaron O'Toole to out-organize knowing what Peter McKay's numbers are, knowing that uh, Peter McKay probably has less room to grow uh, just because of his social conservative stance and the fact that the other two candidates are basically running in a social conservative platform. Um, I think we saw that again Thursday with um, Aaron O'Toole refusing to say that he believes that systemic racism exists in Canada, um, obviously trying not to alienate um, voters whose support he is courting. Um, and I think that, you know, nobody was really saying Andrew Scheer was going to win um, in the last campaign in 2017. I think the, the point system makes things difficult. The fact that very few reporters have been able to really kind of go on the ground and get a sense in different writings. We don't really know. Uh, the polling that's been conducted is conducting conducted with very small sample sizes or at times conducted by polling firms that have ties to individual campaigns. So I think you have to take stock in uh, the conclusions that come out of those yeah. polls. So um, who knows really uh, what is going to happen. Some people may choose to put a second or third name on that ballot. Some people may choose not to at all. Um, we know in the past that uh, campaigns sign up lots of members, but uh, often those members don't actually cast a ballot in the race. So now that you you know add COVID-19 on top of that and the pandemic and the fact that people um, may have other things on their mind, that this contest is happening in the middle of the summer, they may forget to... Uh, mail in their ballot. Obviously, that's not the case for very firm, card-carrying conservative members who are very active in the in the party. But for those members that you just signed up and you know, and your membership drive in February or March or April, um, I don't know. Mm. I don't know, Mark. What's going to happen? It's going to yeah. be exciting. All right, it'll be something to watch for this summer. Uh, let's turn to what happened in Parliament yesterday. Uh, or this week, uh, that led to some back and forth between Jagmeet Singh and the Bloc Québécois. Uh, Bloc leader Yves-François Blanchet is calling for an apology from Jagmeet Singh because he called a member of parliament racist. Uh, what do you make of this, and and, uh, and what does it show about some of the divisions in the House? Very good question, Mark. Um, I'm not really sure, because Jagmeet Singh says he has no plans to apologize, and the NDP feels that the issue has now become bigger than this uh, spat, this disagreement between Mr. Singh and Mr. Tehrien, um, and that uh, kind of the issue has taken on a, a life of its own, and um, 
Mr. Singh feels that uh, he um, should not be punished for calling Mr. Tehin a, a racist, uh, and the bloc feels that uh, there is nothing that Mr. Tehin did to uh, merit the accusation and that the NDP leader should apologize. Basically, on Wednesday, the NDP asked for unanimous consent for a motion to uh recognize systemic racism in the RCMP and demand the government uh, take several steps. And the bloc had not signaled to the NDP that they were going to support their motion. In fact, um, the NDP had not heard at all from the Bloc Québécois, but uh, that's not apparently unusual. Um, and Mr. Thierry, after denying unanimous consent, made a dismissive hand gesture. And Mr. Singh says he became very angry about the hand gesture, and um, that's what led him to call Mr. Thierry a racist. The speaker will have to decide again because on uh, whether that punishment should be maintained because the Black Québécois is insisting that Mr. Singh should not be allowed to call members' names without having a punishment that is more than just that one-day um, expression. Right. Of course, the House is not sitting at the moment, uh, but they will be sitting on July 8th, and the Speaker has agreed that he um, will make a decision before then. Um, it will be hard to see how the Black and the NDP will be able to work together, because it, this does seem like it's uh, it has be, reached a point where uh, of an impasse. All right. Just quickly, as we wrap up, Althea, what are your thoughts on where the discussion over a contact tracing app will go? Uh, there are privacy concerns that have been raised about this. The federal government is saying if it, it if it moves forward, it will be voluntary. But uh, what do you think the discussion is going to look like going forward? The prime minister did his best on Thursday to try to allay fears that may exist of the contact tracing app. Uh, basically, this is an app that the government is working to create that would apply, um, that you would be able to download uh, no matter in which province that you live in. Basically, uh, you would opt in to this app that would, uh, using randomized data, so nobody knows that your app cell phone is tied to you personally, but if you come into contact with somebody that is later discovered has COVID-19 that you would receive a message saying that you have and you should contact your local health authority and then you would get tested. This is a program that is just being tested at the moment. The timeline that we've been given is early July. So I'm sure there will be more discussions about it. And of course, um, it being uh, something that the government is working on, um, it should, normal in the normal course of affairs, would go to the Privacy Commissioner for their opinion. So right. I think that there will be questions that will be asked, of course, on that. And um, so far, the Prime Minister seems to be a really big fan of this app and spoke at length about it on Thursday. Um, <laughs> so I have no doubt we'll hear a lot more about it. All right. We'll see what happens. Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Mark. And Mark, have a wonderful summer. If we you don't too. Before July 8th or August 21st or whatever other important date uh, politically appears on our calendar over the summer. Yeah, you as well. Thanks, Althea. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief. We forged new partnerships. We strengthened existing friendships, and we laid a solid foundation for an even greater collaboration in the future. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. 
At Policy Magazine, Jeremy Kinsman argues Canada's failure to obtain a seat at the United Nations Security Council will not affect our place in the world. Kinsman writes, This loss has no bearing on what the world thinks of Canada and Canadians, still near the very top of any list of countries most admired for their stability, civility, and inclusivity. It's behind us now, and it's time to figure out what we really stand for, how to help contribute to it, and how to work our arrangements on the North American continent. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues, Justin Trudeau's UN Security Council bid was the ultimate show about nothing. The Globe writes, Since before there was a Trudeau government, the Trudeau government has been talking up its plan to reconquer a seat on the Security Council. It chose the game and never stopped reminding everyone how much it mattered. This was never about marketing Canada to the rest of the planet, but rather about selling the sitting government to Canadians. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues, Smartphone apps are fine, but a cheaper and easier way to fight COVID-19. Schofield writes, The app is far from magic. It's fraught with issues around division of powers, efficiency, inclusion, and privacy. There is another solution that is not nearly as glamorous, but might be equally effective, and would certainly be a lot simpler to roll out. Mandatory masks. If almost all of us wear masks, we can work together to mitigate the risk of spreading COVID-19 and reopen the economy with confidence. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The organization representing Canada's municipalities will hold a news conference to call for federal aid as cities and towns reopen across the country. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities will hold a virtual web-based press conference on Zoom at 10 a.m. Eastern. It will lay out what it says the cities and towns across the country need to safely reopen for business. Representatives from both the Big City Caucus and the FCM's Rural Caucus will spell out the what they call the bottom line for funding they say they need to reopen according to federal and provincial guidelines. The country's municipalities have faced plummeting revenues as transit and parking revenues have dried up and as their expenses implementing distancing, testing and other health measures have skyrocketed. Two months ago, the FCM appealed to the federal government for between 10 to $15 billion in emergency funding. Ottawa replied by announcing about $2.2 billion in accelerated gas tax payments that the municipalities would have been receiving anyway. So, Mark, we'll have to see what the latest request is from the municipalities as we all enter the reopening stage of our collective COVID-19 experience. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister is expected to give a daily update on the COVID-19 situation. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, June the 19th. It's our final edition of the podcast for this parliamentary season. We'll be back in September when Parliament begins sitting again or as events dictate during the summer months. Until then, thank you for listening. Have a great summer.